It has been said by some wise and very accomplished people that the best defense is a good offense. You familiar with that phrase? It's a good time of year to be thinking about that phrase. One of my favorite times of the year, it's football season. And you may remember a number of years ago, a very famous football coach used that line when he was cheering his team on, encouraging his team to step out there. Anybody know who, who was known for saying that? He didn't, didn't originate with them, but Vince Lombardi, I believe. Anybody heard of him? Long time coach. But if you go way back beyond that, somebody not necessarily in sports, but in politics and government. Our very first president was said to have said that. George Washington. The best defense is a good offense. Now I gotta confess to you as a boy that's grown up in the South, the deep South, and as an SEC football fan, and I know that that's not so popular necessarily with some around here, but as an SEC fan, that line just kind of stuck with me. Because if you know anything about SEC football, for decades, the SEC teams have prided themselves on a strong defense and that you won ball games with a strong defense. But it's said, nevertheless, that the best defense is a strong offense. I've wrestled with that, and, and you think, well, gosh, Pastor, really? Uh, you'd have to know a little bit about my history, a little, just a little blurb in, in my past. My senior year in college, not too far down the road south from here, my senior year, I roomed with a freshman football player, a guy that I really didn't know, but we were put together and he was a football player. And as I learned as, we, as the year went on, as the fall season went on, he was a really good football player. Never would have imagined, except for his size, that he was a football player. Most laid-back individual you could ever meet. I mean, easygoing, laid-back, great big old teddy bear kind of guy. And he played offensive line. And I learned a few things that year about this saying. The best defense is a good offense. Now I gotta tell you, when I watch football, and particularly when I'm looking at the two off, the offensive line and the defensive line, it seems that they're named the wrong thing. I mean, we celebrate today big, fast defensive linemen, and they seem much more on the offense than the offense. They're going after the quarterback or whoever's got the ball. And I think, well, wouldn't they be offense? Isn't that going on the offensive? And when I think about the offensive line, and no offense to my former roommate or anybody else that plays on the offensive line, I think, man, they're playing defense the whole time. They're trying to keep the guy off the quarterback. What sense does this make? I mentioned my roommate because I learned not too far into the season that he was reliable. He was reliable and, and consistent. Very unassumingly, he would just saunter up kind of gently to the line. He'd get down in his stance. And inevitably, because our team wasn't that great at the time, the big defensive guys on the other side of him were taunting him. And they were dancing around and taunting him like defensive guys are known to do. 
and he'd come off the line and he'd offer a hand to help him up after the play was over. And he'd say, I'll be right back. <laughs> and he'd go to the huddle. Now, inevitably, because you know defensive linemen, maybe, those of you who are football fans, they'd be taunting again. And he'd get back up there and he'd just kind of lazily come up and he'd get down in his stance. And once again, they were on their back and he was offering a hand to help them up and always saying very softly and gently like he would, I'll be right back. I learned something about that. Besides the fact that as a young guy and blood boiling in you, you're like, yeah, I get it. Stick it to him. I learned that the psychological game he was playing was profound. I also learned that he was definitely on offense. You may wonder where all this is headed this morning, and I would understand that if you do. So let me invite you to turn to Acts, where we are studying this morning a little something about offense and defense. We're in chapter 5, and we were in chapter 5 last week, so if you remember, if you were here and you remember what we talked about, we talked about the fact that the disciples, the apostles, had been through their second arrest in recent days that they had been preaching and teaching Jesus and the gospel message of Him coming and why He had come to Israel and what He was doing for them. What God was doing through Him. And the people in power, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin in particular, were really offended because the people were flocking to Jesus. They had flocked to Him and it didn't it resulted in them eventually killing him. And then after he poured out his spirit at Pentecost, his disciples began to continue on his ministry, and the same thing happened. God empowered Peter and John and others to perform the same sort of miracles and to proclaim the same message. Good news is here. And people who needed him, many like the ones we prayed for just a few minutes ago, were flocking to him because he promised them help. And he delivered on that promise. And they were flocking to him. And as you can imagine, those in power became jealous. And just like they had done to their leader, now they did to the apostles. They hauled them into court, hauled them into, put them in prison, hauled them before the court, threatened them, don't you, don't you continue teaching in his name. And they, of course, continued to teach in His name. And we pick it up in verse 33 this morning. Where they had, after this second arrest, and after powerfully stating to the religious leaders, do we obey you or do we obey God? Do we, do we listen to God or do we listen to human authority? We listen to God, and we have to continue to spread this good news. They also went on to say, you are responsible. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And now not only are we witnesses, but God has sent the Holy Spirit, and he is a witness. 
And so we pick it up in verse 33. When they, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. You've got to understand the jealousy is just off the charts. They are just furious. These people aren't getting it. We've thrown them in jail. We've threatened them. Don't they know who they're standing in front of? These uneducated, normal, old, plain guys that insist on carrying out this message that this dead guy, who they say is now alive and has been resurrected, and they're continuing to, to teach in his name, and people are flocking to him, this can't continue. The tension was incredible. Violence was in their hearts. Now you need to understand something about these religious leaders because in that time there were two schools of thought. There were two in years past, two particular leaders. And I may pronounce their names, but one was Shammai and the other was Hillel. And they were both devoted, godly men and teachers. But they had very different interpretations of the way they ought to be. You see, Shammai was one who was zealous for God's law. This is what had been given to Israel. And, and Shammai was zealous. So he was very much on the offense in the sense that he and his followers were seeking out those who were not following the law to correct them, maybe to punish them if need be. Because it was important that the people of Israel follow the law. That was their identity. That was their hope. And Shammai and his followers were all about that. And you can tell, maybe if you're putting two and two together here, that many of the Sanhedrin, many of these same leaders were following in the school of thought of Shammai. We've got to be zealous about people sticking to the law. And I don't know about this new sect, this new way they call it. But we've got to rein these people in. This can't continue. Now, there was another leader. I mentioned Hillel. And he had a very different, although just as devoted, a very different way. He believed rather than pursuing those who weren't following the law, that what God intended was a change in the heart. God wanted their hearts changed. And so it wasn't a matter of chasing you down and punishing you. It was a matter of telling you the truth, giving you the hope, and letting you decide if you're going to follow Him. Let people do as they would do. And you worry about, as God changes your heart, living it out. Now a particular follower of the Hillel way of thinking, the school of thought, was named Gamaliel. Maybe you've heard of Gamaliel. Or maybe you've heard of Gamaliel only because of his much more famous student originally known as Saul. You see, Saul was a student of Hillel, but somehow his actions looked a lot more like Shemai. He was, you remember, before he was became Paul, he was vehement about chasing down the believers of this new way. To haul them into court, to drag them in. He even had permission. He sought permission and got it from the high priest to go all over and find these folks and drag them in very much on the offense. And God got a hold of him, you know, and changed his heart later in Acts. We read about that. But Gamaliel was of a different mindset. 
And as he watched and listened to his fellow Sanhedrin get all upset and be violent and ready to just kill these, kill these apostles, he said these things. He said, men of Israel, I'm down in verse 35, men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thutis who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him. But he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And then catch this line. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Men of Israel, leaders of the people, top religious, chief priests, well-educated people. Think about what you're doing because you may unknowingly find yourself fighting against God Himself. They accepted His advice. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. I'm sure not to be undone. They had to do something. They flogged them. They ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Now I've spoken of these people so far as being on the offense. But in fact, they were on the defense. They were offensive in what they were doing. But they were playing defense. They were guarding the law. They were guarding what they had grown up knowing. They were guarding their power. They were guarding their significance. They were guarding their place. Very much playing defense. And along come these uneducated men who just keep going and going and going. After they were flogged, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Lord of all. They were playing offense in some ways like my roommate. They just kept going. And even though the defensive people may have been coming at them with loud taunts and strong ways. They just kept going. Now we know from earlier in the text that they were not doing this on their own, right? They were empowered. These uneducated simpletons, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. Because the significance of it gets at what I first started talking about. This saying of the best defense is a good offense. Because in fact, although he didn't use those words, someone long before Vince Lombardi and, and George Washington 
advocated this position long before. You've got to go way back. Can you think of someone who advocated the best offense is a good defense? Excuse me. The best defense is a good offense? When he first created us, the Creator said, Go and multiply. Fill the earth and lead them. Govern over them. And when he called his first group of people, he said, I want you to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And in effect, I want the whole world to see who I am through you and how good it is to be my people. How blessed you will be because you're my people. God's been on the offense from the very beginning trying to get the message across to us. There is good here. There is good in life with me. There is good when I am your God and you're my people. Okay, so it's a good Bible lesson. And maybe it's not new news to you. So what's the significance for us today? Why is this important? That we be reminded of the fact that the best defense is a good offense. Well, folks, even the conversations we were having before the service out in the lobby this morning, what are we talking about? What do we talk about as people of God when we gather these days? What's on our minds and in our hearts? What are the concerns that we have? All the stuff that's going on in our country. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that we want. We want to see resolved, right? There's a lot of things going on right now, and we are struggling as a people, wondering when's it all going to end? When are we going to be able to get back to normal? And I encourage you to think that the, the very, those very first apostles had every reason to be thinking the same thing. When's it all going to get back to normal? Everything's been turned upside down. And matter of fact, the people on the other side of the table, if you will, those opponents of them were thinking the same thing. This is crazy. We've got to stamp these guys out. When are we going to get life back to normal? I remind you, the best defense is a good offense. How are we to respond? How are we the people of God today? How are those of us who have a wonderful message of good news and hope to interact with what's going on around us? Boy, there's a part of me that just wants to turn off the video and put down the microphone and, and just circle up the chairs and sit among you and say, hey, can we get real for a minute? Am I the only one really struggling through these days? Hello? Anybody out there? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, you know, gosh, what do we do with the kids' program? Although that's really important. I, I'm not talking about, well, how do we get Randy through his back surgery? Although that's really important. 
I'm talking about messed up struggles. Like life has changed and there are days that I'm in, in places that I don't even know how I got there inside me. I'm struggling with stuff. It doesn't even make sense anymore. And I don't think I'm alone. And so I'm asking you a very real question this morning. What do we do about it? How are we to handle this? I don't think the fact that we have good news as the people of God is new news to you. I think you know that. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering how front and center that message is in my life, in your life. A good friend of mine and I were just talking in the last few days. And this friend said to me, you know, it's amazing. I can be so, I, I can just be. And when I go to the Word and I spend time with God just reading, it's amazing how my life seems to, inside, seems to settle down. Inside, the hope seems to come back. Inside, some of this stuff that is messing me up so much doesn't have such power. And so I'm asking you this morning, in light of that comment, can you understand that the best defense is a good offense? Are you tracking with me? Do you feel like you're playing defense today? Do you feel like we're playing defense in the midst of everything that's going on? Do you feel like you're, man, you're on your heels? Oh, if we could just get all this stuff settled. I want to suggest to you that the best defense is a good offense. And the offense that we play is getting into the Word and being reminded of the message and the purpose of God. And how He just continues. Just like He did with those apostles. In the face of violent, significant threat. Go a few years down the road. Do you remember what happened to the apostles? Every single one of them, except John, were martyred. But you don't hear them complaining and whining. You hear them continuing to get the message out. Something in them changed. Something in them so profoundly happened that they moved through day in and day out some unthinkable difficulties. And the Scripture gives us evidence of why. They understood that the best defense is a good offense. They were in His Word. They were with His Spirit. They were living out the truth regularly somehow he was so real to them that they continued to immerse themselves in him and continued to live out and share that message despite everything going on around them i mean we're, we're gonna get real for a minute let me ask you something real question if we had been threatened if you had been threatened by the local authorities that if you continue to share this good news, if you continue to, to, to advocate following Jesus, you'd be killed. 
Would you do it? We know the right answer. I'm not asking for the right answer. I'm asking, what would you do? How would you feel? What would be going on inside of you? Would any thoughts go through your mind like your family? Those who depend on you? Your jobs? If you know you're just killed right away, well, that's the easy way out. Well, what if that didn't happen? What if all that was important to you began to be taken away and you began to suffer personally, physically, as well as your family? Friends, this is real stuff. Like we have real struggles right now and many of us are going through real turmoil in our minds and our spirits. I'm not just talking about something made up. I'm talking about day in and day out. I'm talking about tomorrow and yesterday. And I'm saying to you that the best defense is a good offense. And just like my friend who after every huddle walked right back up to the same place and he got down in the same stance and he did it, went through the same motions. I mean, how repetitive, how boring. Isn't there something new? But he did it and he did it faithfully and he did it well. And how many opponents, big and bad and powerful in all their language, wound up on their backs? Because the best defense is a good offense. Do you want to know how to overcome your struggles right now? It's not just made up stuff. It's not good, just a good church answer. And the best part of it is that if we really get a hold of this message and this message gets a hold of us, other people will begin to see and benefit from it too. The best defense against all the junk we have to deal with is a good offense. And just like they discovered, this offense doesn't stop. This offense keeps going. And the power behind it will move us through whatever we face.